Lesson 2 for January 2 through to 8. Crisis in Eden. Sabbath afternoon, January 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we begin a new year of study of your word and we're discussing as we open your word the intricacies of salvation and of sin and of our relationship with you. And as we do so, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide and to bless. We each face new challenges this year. We each face challenges in our personal and family and community lives. And we pray that as we do so, we'll be able to put our hand in yours, because you are just so faithful. Bless us now as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's read that again. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. After the creation of the world, God declared everything was very good in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. However, it's obvious now that everything in the world was not very good. Despite various isms and ideologies that over the centuries have tried to make things right, our world continues toward chaos, insecurity, violence, war, pollution, oppression and exploitation. If the 20th century began with all sorts of optimism about the future and what humans could do to improve the future, the 21st century has certainly lost that optimism, and with good reason too. How did we get into this situation? The answer is found in the great controversy which, though beginning in heaven, had unfortunately come to earth, and fairly early on in earth's history too. This week, we will look at how Satan was able to exploit human freedom and thus start the devastation that we all experience every day. The story of the fall remains a powerful reminder that our only safety as human beings exists not only in believing what God tells us, but, more importantly, in obeying what he tells us as well. Sunday, January 3, Three Blessings In the context of creation, the phrase And God saw that it was good appears seven times in Genesis 1. There's light in Genesis chapter 1 verse 4, dry land and sea in verse 10, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in verse 12, sun, moon and stars in verse 16, seas swarming with fish and skies filled with birds in verse 21, and beasts, cattle and creeping things in verse 25. Finally, when God's work is finished, we get the sentence in verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. As well as declaring everything he made very good, God went a step further and blessed his creation in three specific areas. 
First, he blessed the sea creatures and the birds. He encouraged them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. That's Genesis 1 verse 22. Second, when Adam and Eve were created, God blessed them too with similar encouragement. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And that's in verse 28. Question. Read Genesis chapter 1, verses 22 and 28. What blessings begin in the same way, but what extra is added for Adam and Eve? Genesis 1, verse 22, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And then in verse 28, then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Humans share with fish and birds the divine encouragement to be fruitful and multiply. But the difference comes when Adam and Eve are given the responsibility to care for the earth and all its creatures. Here we see a glimpse of the significance of being created in God's image. The Creator invited our first parents to be co-regents with Him to uphold and care for the created realm, as we see in Romans chapter 8 verse 17, and if children their heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And Hebrews chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The third blessing given in the creation story is the seventh day Sabbath, as recorded in Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Here is further confirmation that people are far more than just animals. They were created to enjoy fellowship with the Creator in ways none of the other creatures can. Here we see unmistakable evidence of the special place humans have been given in the creation. Jesus underscored this point in Matthew 6.26, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Without devaluing other creatures, he made it clear that people are unique and special on earth. So, to finish today, in what ways does the biblical creation account give a dignity to humanity that an alternative view of origins such as evolution can't? In light of the biblical account of human origins, ask yourself, are you treating everyone as they deserve to be treated? Monday, January 4, 
The Test at the Tree God created everything by a series of separations with clearly defined boundaries. Light and darkness, waters above and waters below, land and sea, night and day, creatures according to their kind, a day separated from the others, a woman separated from a man, and a tree set apart from the others. Question. Read Genesis chapter 1, verses 4, 6, 7, 14, 18, 21, 24, and 25. Why is it important that clearly defined boundaries are outlined even before the creation of human beings? First of all, Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And verses 6 and 7, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And verse 14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens, to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And verse 18, And to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And verse 21, So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And verses 24 and 25, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. As well as God forming man, beast and bird from the ground, as we read in verses 7 and 19 of chapter 2, Let's read that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And God formed man, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called his living creature, that was its name. He also caused beautiful trees with delicious fruit to spring up from the ground, as we read in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God also chose a special piece of land in which he planted a garden. We can only try to imagine its beauty. The wonderful gardens we see today surely are a bare reflection of what Eden must have been like. In the middle of this specially planted garden in Eden, separated out from the rest of the world, there were two unique trees, the tree of life and the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. Fruit from the second tree was not to be eaten, or there would be severe consequences, as we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. What is the idea of separation revealed here in this test of Adam and Eve's obedience to God? Well, beginning at verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The division is clear and concrete. Eat from all the other trees, but not from this distinct one, which was separate from the others. There was nothing ambiguous about God's words. Adam and Eve were created as moral beings, and morality cannot exist without freedom. Here was a test to see what they would do with that freedom. As Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 53, the tree of knowledge had been made a test of their obedience and their love to God. The Lord would have seen fit to lay upon them but one prohibition as to the use of all that was in the garden. But if they should disregard his will in this particular, they would incur the guilt of transgression. And so to finish today. What are some things in your life that you definitely need to separate yourself from? Tuesday, January 5, The Fall, Part 1 Described in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 as more crafty than any other animal, the snake became a powerful symbol throughout Bible history. Moses lifted up a bronze serpent on a pole to stop people from dying in a plague of deadly serpents during the Exodus in Numbers chapter 21. The same bronze serpent became an object of idolatry and of occult practice and was destroyed by King Hezekiah about 700 years later in Second Kings chapter 18. In the book of Revelation, the serpent of old is clearly identified as the devil or Satan in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Question. Read Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through to 5. What tactic did Satan use in his attempt to deceive Eve? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The first words uttered by the snake were words of cynicism and doubt. Did God really say, in Genesis 3 verse 1, instead of Eve wondering why a snake was talking to her, she was immediately drawn into the faith-destroying taunts. 
when Satan asked, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Genesis 3.1 The implication, based on the original language, was that God forbade them to eat from all the trees, when in fact that isn't what God had forbidden them to do. God's character is being questioned here. This is a direct attack on him. The serpent must have confused Eve, because her reply adds a detail that, according to the biblical record, God did not give. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Genesis 3 verses 2 and 3. But Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 reads, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The part about not touching it she added, perhaps in her own confusion. Satan's success up to this point made him bold, so he then directly challenged God's authority. You will not surely die, verse 4. The fact that he, in the tree, was touching the fruit and remained alive made his statements believable. He then threw in the final thought in verse 5. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The tempter made it appear that God was not only dishonest, but also withholding something good from them. So, to finish today, Satan mixed truth with error. What are some things people believe that are a mixture of truth and error? Why is that always a deadly mix, especially in terms of theology? Wednesday, January 6, The Fall, Part 2 When God decided to create Adam and Eve, He stated that they would be made in God's image and according to His likeness in Genesis 1, verse 26. The bait on the tempter's hook was that if they ate the forbidden fruit, they would become like God. The reality is that they already were like God. They had been created in His image. But the sad fact is that in the heat of temptation, they lost sight of this sacred truth. Additionally, God was the original provider of their food. But part of the rebellion involved Adam and Eve choosing something to eat outside of God-given boundaries. It would be like being invited to someone's home for a meal, and instead of eating from their table, you go to their cupboard or refrigerator and help yourself to something that attracts you. Not only would that be an insult to your hosts, but it would also show that you do not value your relationship with them. Question. Read Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through to 7. The tempter has assured Eve that by eating the fruit her eyes would be opened. What did Adam and Eve see when their eyes were opened? And what did that new light symbolize? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves coverings. Eve became overwhelmed by her senses in verse 6. The tree was beautiful, and as she sank her teeth into a piece of fruit, Eve imagined that she entered into a higher state of existence. When she shared her experience with Adam, yes, their eyes were opened, in verse 7, but they were embarrassed by what they saw. One major issue here is the rejection of God as the provider of every good thing and choosing instead a man-made solution to human need, in this case, the desire to eat. God had previously assured Adam and Eve of their food and had provided the menu. Their eating from the forbidden tree was a move outside of that provision and showed a lack of trust that was not warranted, especially given their unique circumstances. And so to finish today, what kind of forbidden fruit, which often appears so tempting, so pleasing and so full of promise, is made available to us today? How can we learn not to make the same kind of error when presented with such a powerful deception? Thursday, January 7, The Consequences We may be well into eternity before we understand fully how much damage was caused by that one incident at the tree. All that God did during creation week started to unravel. Relationships that God established were fractured between people and God, they hid from Him, between each other, Adam blamed Eve for his trouble, and between humans and the environment, the serpent became an enemy, the ground would now produce thorns and thistles, and would only provide food after much human labour. Question. Read Genesis chapter 3, verses 10 through to 19. What did Adam's and Eve's excuses reveal about how damaged they had really become? Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, 
Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Notice how God dealt with these excuses. Before God could redeem them, Adam and Eve had to admit responsibility for what they had done. So, God carefully explained to them the results of their individual actions. First, though, the serpent was cursed and would eat dust, be loathed by the woman and have its head bruised, in verses 14 and 15. Then the Lord told Eve that she was to experience great pain in childbirth, in verse 16. Adam, meanwhile, was to toil and sweat for food rather than live as a king in verses 17 to 19. Adam and Eve were now faced with the choice of either continuing in rebellion or returning to God. Accepting responsibility for their wrong was their first step in returning to God, but even that acknowledgement was not enough to solve the problem caused to humanity by sin. There had to be another way to ensure the future of the human race. So, God provided an animal sacrifice to point to a saviour. It was a creature, a snake, that had introduced them to sin, loss and fractured relationships. It would be a creature, a lamb, that would point them to the deliverer who would ensure restoration, reconciliation and a future. As we read in Genesis chapter five, or Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. However, rather than being regents ruling over the earth, Adam and Eve were now dependent on the earth and each other as never before. As Ellen White writes in Education, page 26, Among the lower creatures, Adam had stood as king, and so long as he remained loyal to God, all nature acknowledged his rule. But when he transgressed, this dominion was forfeited. So to finish today, immediately after the fall, we were given hope of salvation in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. How can you make that hope your own? How can you learn to rejoice in it, knowing that it applies to you, regardless of your past choices? Friday, January 8. Though we are a long way away from Eden, from the original creation, there's still so much in creation that speaks to us of the goodness of God. Look around. We can see not only incredible beauty, but incredible design as well, all of which testifies to our Creator's love. For instance, think about such things as apples, oranges, tangerines, strawberries, blueberries, 
avocados, tomatoes, lemons, limes, watermelons, almonds, pecans, pears, plums, carrots, peas, bananas, pineapples, pomegranates, broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, onions, raspberries, cherries, celery, papaya, eggplant, rhubarb, spinach, melons, and on and on. Is it just by chance that all these are so tasty? Well, some people don't like Brussels sprouts. So good for us, and just happen to grow out of the ground bearing their own seed? Of course not. Not everyone has access to these bounties. However, and there are floods and famines and pestilences and people do go hungry. This is, of course, testimony to how greatly damaged our world has become because of sin. But if we can, for a moment, get behind the damage in creation and just view the creation itself, wow, what a powerful testimony to God's love. We just have to remember, the hope is not in the creation itself, but only in the Creator Himself. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, as human beings, we were never meant to die. Death is an aberration, something that humans should have never known or experienced. Hence, the universal abhorrence of death that we all feel is, no doubt, a vestige of what we have taken with us from Eden. Dwell on all the Bible promises of eternal life that we have been given. How can they help us to deal with the terrible trauma of death now? 2. What parts of the created world talk to you in a powerful way about the reality of God and God's love for us? And question 3. Read again Genesis 3 about how Adam and Eve started justifying their sin. Why is that so easy to do? What are ways that we seek to do the same? That is, how often do we claim heredity, environment, or other people as being the causes of our mistakes? How can we get out of this dangerous mindset and own up to our own responsibility for our actions? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled A Dream Comes True, Part 1. Ever since she was a little girl, Samantha loved to listen to the exciting stories about the Lazerio mission boat. Fascinated, she imagined what it might be like to work as a missionary along the Amazon, just like Leo and Jesse Hallowell. Little did she know that one day her dream would come true. After graduating from high school, Samantha was accepted into the nursing program at the State University of West Parana in southern Brazil. While there, she faced a challenge because some classes were held on Sabbath. Although she was able to take the classes on alternate days, it meant staying in school an extra year. In the end, however, things worked out for the best. At the end of her university experiences, Samantha had many job possibilities, but her heart was in mission. When an invitation came offering the opportunity to be a volunteer missionary for a year in the Amazon region of northern Brazil, Samantha seriously considered the possibilities. Jesus, she prayed, if you want me to go, 
Please open all the doors for me. I don't know what to do, but if you want me to go to the Amazon, I will go. After her prayer, doors became opening very quickly. I was given money for the tickets, and people gave me everything I needed. My heart's desire grew stronger, and I knew that Jesus had a plan for me. Soon, Samantha was in the heart of the Amazon region, training with Salva Vidas, a supportive Adventist mission organization that teaches volunteers to work in the jungles using health evangelism and giving Bible studies. After three months, the project coordinator approached Samantha. I have a place for you, and that place is in a small village, and you will be a nurse on the Lazirio. Samantha could hardly believe the news. I was so happy, she recalled. Here I can use my nursing skills all the time. The people are very simple, with simple problems, and I can help them. This is exactly what I want to do, to educate people who don't have any knowledge about health. I get to help, and I'm so happy. As a Lazero nurse, Samantha now works with ADRA, Adventist Development and Relief Agency, and is based in a village where she operates a small clinic. Every week she goes to the Lazero 26, visiting many villages along the Amazon and providing the only health care available to thousands of people. Whether on the Lazero or in the village clinic, Samantha often faces emergencies where she knows only God can help. Many times she has seen his direct intervention in saving lives. Early one evening, Samantha watched as a small boat headed to shore. As soon as the boat arrived, a man jumped out holding his hand in bloodied bandages. Quickly, Samantha unwrapped the cloth, finding mangled fingers and a mutilated palm. And the story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. Make sure you study next week's lesson. And we'll get the end of that story. I'm sure God's going to show his power. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful. <laughs>